my mic sounds nice. Check one. I said my microphone sounds nice when it is on. Check two. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Rim, hashtag BTR. And my guest this evening is a return guest, Paul Hammersley, who is the president of Malden Overcoming Addiction. Brother Hammer Time, say hello to all the streamers out there. Nesta Dudley, how are you? Thank you for uh, for having me on. And yes, this is the, the second time that I've come on your show, and I really appreciate your time. And, and hello to everybody who's listening. And uh, we have a whole bunch of information to cover. And uh, Nesta, I'm just waiting to hear what you want to know. On the last podcast that you were on, which was tax day, April 15th, we booked you immediately. We said you're going to be on in July because you were going to have some information about an update for a peer-to-peer recovery center in Malden. So we're going to start off with that. It's August now. It's been a few months after the podcast. What is the update to a peer-to-peer recovery center in Malden? So we talked about last time, um, we're trying to bring a peer-to-peer recovery center to Malden. And just to give folks an idea what, what that is, that is a place for people to go. Um, once people go to a detox um, facility, if they can't continue their treatment, they usually come back home within five to seven days and they have nowhere else to go at that time. So generally the odds are against them on, um, you know, potentially living the same exact way they were living five or seven days prior. So a a recovery center is a place for people to go that are surrounded by people just like that. Everyone's just trying to recover from the disease of addiction, trying to get a day in recovery, and everyone in the building is doing the same thing. So it makes it easier for someone um, to continue their process. And the recovery center will offer things such as – you know, there's going to be job training in there. You know, there'll be ABCD. There will be Cambridge Health Alliance for medical assisted treatment. There will be, um, you know, the Bread of Life will be around. A food pantry. We will have a um, a variety of resources. There will be a family center in there to, you know, for families to come in that have no idea what's going on with the disease of addiction if they know a loved one. So that that's you know in in the short term I could go on for the whole hour on the recovery center, but that's what the recovery center is. It's not clinical. There will be no doctors on staff. It's a day, it's a day treatment center. Um, there's no beds, so it will be open I, uh, Sunday to Saturday, eight a.m. to ten p.m. There'll be meetings. Daily. You know, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, because we all know the casino is coming, and that's going to create its its own issues right off the bat. So the update is we've been working very closely with the Senate and Mayor Christensen. Um, the center will cost about $420,000 a year to operate. Now, there are currently 10 existing centers in Massachusetts, and Department of Public Health funds all 10. They actually fund $350,000 to each center, and each center has their own um, timeline, whether it's a five-year grant or a seven-year grant. We don't know exactly what other centers do, but 
obviously the money has to come from the states. We've been lobbying to bring enough money to put another recovery center into the budget. And last year we were around very disappointed. There was supposed to be a million dollars to go in the line item for for um, recovery centers and only $250,000 went in. So we were not able to um, to get the $350,000 needed from DPH. But this year, Senator Lewis um, really fought diligently with, with his colleagues and they got enough money into the budget um, for five centers, not one, but five. And we were waiting for that to pass on July 1st. And Governor Baker had to sign the, you know, the, um, he had to sign the budget to agree on the money. And I believe it was, uh, it's enough to fund five centers and he signed it. So that money is there. So what that means for us is we still don't have the center, but it, it sure is good news because now there's money in the budget for the Department of Public Health to fund five centers. Now what will happen is a RFI process has to happen, which is an application process. So in the next four, eight weeks from now, they're going to put out an application process and everyone in the state will have an opportunity to, um, to put in for an application and they, the DPH will decide where they feel the need is the most in the state for the five centers. And we feel very strongly with our proposal that we're going to put together and with the numbers that are currently um, in our general 10 mile radius, Malden, Melrose, Medford, Revere, Stoneham, so I guess Winchester that, you know, um, our numbers are really high for overdose rate and uh, fatality. So we feel strongly that we could get that center here. We have established a spot. We have a place in mind. We have our financials in order. We have everything on paper. Now we just need to put in a good proposal and um, hopefully the center will open. We should know something before October. So the latest update will be hopefully before October. Now, the last time that you were on the podcast, Paul, you had mentioned that there were three partners for this recovery center that will hopefully come to Malden. But you did not disclose those three partners. It was too early to disclose. So my question to you is, is it still too early to disclose the three partners? No, I can, I can, I can tell you one of them. Um, we're, we're working very closely um, with John McGahan, who is the, the CEO president of the Gavin Foundation um, in Boston. He's sort of like, um, if you, in layman's terms, like the godfather of recovery. He, uh, he, you know, the Gavin Foundation is a very, very, um, reputable and wonderful program. They have numerous um, treatment facilities, detoxes, they have recovery centers, and I know John personally, and we've been working very closely with John because we're not trying to recreate the wheel. We're just trying to continue the good work that he's done. So we've met with him a few times, and he has agreed um, for the first 18 months, if we get this, if Malden is chosen, he's going to mentor um, myself and the workers going in. We will, he has um, the Divine Recovery Center in South Boston. So he has helped us out giving us his blueprint to follow the whole, you know, the whole way we've been sort of working behind the scenes with him. So he's a great partner. And again, it will be an eight month partnership and then he'll sort of fade away he'll help us get up and running teach us you know what what's successful what worked for him what didn't work for him so he's um he's a huge partner in this is this something that 
that they do quite often that they help out other um, up and coming centers is. Uh, well, there's only 10. Um, he said no one, he hasn't really, no one has ever asked. Uh, there's only 10 centers and there hasn't been a new center in, in at least, uh, I don't know, three to five years. It, nothing new has happened that, you know, they've had the 10 existing. So again, um, he's a very, uh, I really admire John and I love the work that he does. And I've, I've said it once, I'll say it again. We're not trying to recreate the wheel. He had a very successful, um, track record so we would we are asking for help because that's one thing about um the work that i'm in if you don't ask for help as as they say a closed mouth doesn't get fed right. so we have uh, asked john for some assistance he has graciously accepted and, and is working with us that's fantastic news i just want to remind the streamers who are not familiar with the community of malden that malden massachusetts is 5.5 miles north of boston so once again malden massachusetts is 5.5 miles north of boston and based on the information that you have given us on the last time you on this podcast paul that so far the nearest recovery center to malden would be in lawrence massachusetts correct yeah it's 25 miles north but as we're talking about the divine recovery center there is one he's 13 miles that's john by the way um john mcgain from the gavin foundation he has something in south boston that's 13 miles away but again, um, there is no one that is going to take two trains and a bus in early recovery to try to go to a recovery center. Number one, they usually people in the beginning might not have funds. They might not be feeling well, but, you know, they, that makes it very difficult to take, um, you know, to get on the MBTA and take two trains and a bus. So we don't see that happen. And so there's one south of us, 13 miles, and there's one 25 miles north. So this whole general region, there's really no help. And peer-to-peer recovery centers are um, proven in every community that numbers are down, overdoses are down, fatalities are down, um, and most of the communities, crime is down, because obviously when people are recovering, all those things come down. Since last time we spoke, Paul, that there has been a couple of major changes in your life. So let's start with your per professional change that you you are no longer in the same position that you were the last time you were in a new position let's talk about that yeah so i've been um working very closely with mayor christensen and the christensen administration since 2011 as the media support specialist for the city of malden and back at about 2014-15 um i started a nonprofit called the Malden Overcoming Addiction, strictly volunteer. So I was doing that in my downtime and, you know, just uh, volunteering in the community, building up this coalition to try to help the, um, the residents of our community. And um, in the past couple of years, it's, uh, you know, nobody's blind to it. The room has significantly, got, significantly gotten worse. And um, we have assisted many people in the community in achieving some recovery, helping some families and, and just trying to um, help people get a better life. And Mayor Christensen noticed that. So he brought in front of the council, it was a unanimous vote from the council and from, you know, the mayor has, um, he, he put in for this position for me. Um, and that would be the Malden city council. Yeah, the Malden City, obviously anything the mayor does to go in front of the council when there's a budget change, and um, they presented it to the council as, um, you know, I am the 
newly appointed addiction recovery resource specialist for the city of Malden, and I am currently working out of the health department, which means now there is a resource for any resident in the city. You can now walk right into City Hall um, and, and receive help if you need it, which means, you know, you can, we, we can try to place you if you needed assistance, maybe getting into a detox. If you just need some information, some resources, we're available for family. Family members can come in and talk with me and I can point everyone in the right direction. Um, I have a lot of resources at, at my fingertips and, and currently I'm in the position now six weeks. And honestly, it's um, I'm working with about nine different families already. We've placed people um, into long-term recovery. We've placed people into detox. There's currently some people I'm working with now. And the job will also entail outreach in the city where I'll be walking around to the quote-unquote hot spots, just uh, you know, letting people see me, maybe having a conversation and introducing myself, letting everyone know that I'm here. I will be working very closely with the Malden police when they have um, addiction calls. We might you know, form a partnership there, and I've recently contacted um, the school department, and because we all know that youth is um, the most important piece of this puzzle, we have to educate our young people so we can try to break the cycle of what's happening out there. So I've been in contact with the schools. We're going to work very closely with the curriculum. I'm working with um, Charlie Conifley and Superintendent Terry. And um, I met with them last week. I'll be meeting again with them next week to see what we can do to try to implement some type of um, educational piece for our students. Well, I think this is all fantastic work, and I just want to be amongst the many to congratulate you on this new position. So congratulations on this new position. Thank you. Thank you. It's certainly You are certainly the best qualified person in this city, our community of Malden, Massachusetts. For the streamers out there, Paul, you had mentioned that you will go to the hot spots. So what are the hot spots? I want to know what I want the I want the streamers to get an idea what the hot spots are. I think I know what the hot spots are, but instead of me speculating, why don't you just let us know what exactly, you know, when you say that you're gonna be walking to the to the hot spots. What do, what does that mean? Well, you know, it's it's usually in you know, every city or town has, you know, they you you see it, it's it's you know, you're not blind to it, but in Malden, um, the train station, um is a gathering for folks that might not be doing the right thing. Um, and we see it every day, especially in the nice weather. We get a lot of calls over there to, to assist folks that might be struggling with the disease of addiction. Um, so that's where I'll be spending some time and down, down in Malden center, you know, there's some people that, um, you know, you clearly can see again, might be, might be struggling with, um, whatever it is they're struggling with, but they, you know, they're, they're, they're visible people who are there daily and clearly they look like they're not, um, you know, may not be doing the best, um, the best of things or have the right intentions. You can see it. So I'll just be walking, you know, letting people see me at first, just, you know, seeing my face and then eventually striking a conversation. And then eventually that conversation hopefully will lead to, um, just do something positive between me and that person. And, and, you know, again, I, I, I continuously, the message is if we help one person, we've succeeded. Right. So, you know, there, there is, there is spots amongst the city. So I would say like, you know, Malden center, Malden, over by maybe, um, 
on Pleasant Street around the Elmwood area. There's some folks that um, I would love to chat with, you know, stuff like that. Now, you are very visible and very popular in this city of Malden. So my question to you is, you is that when you are going out to the hot spots and you see someone that looks like they're in need, look like they, that they can use some help point in a, in, a, in, in a different direction, but that person doesn't know you. Like how do you mm-hmm. how do you strike up the conversation? Like what do you do to introduce yourself? And, and so again, yeah, go ahead, finish. And I was going to say, and again, I, I well, why don't you ask the question? Well, like I said at the beginning, so how, how this has to work is, um, you know, it's no secret. Um, I am 15 years in recovery, so I understand the people that I'm going to try to introduce myself to or talk to. I know exactly what they're thinking, what they're up to, um, how they're feeling, because that was me 15 years ago. So that's where it benefits. I have what they call lived experience. So I know that if anyone approaches your immediate circle, that that means danger and no one, you know, I wouldn't talk to me if I approached me. So how I have to handle this, it's it's a slow process. Um, It's not a race. You know, it can be a marathon. So I will simply just walk over and, Maybe start sitting down, not even saying anything to anyone, just letting people see me. Might spend an hour just in in their vicinity, then eventually, maybe a couple of days later, I might say hello. You know, I might introduce myself. And, um, you know, you'll get your people who, who definitely don't want to talk to you, and that's okay. But then eventually, you know, I am, people will talk to me, and then, you know, then I might hand a card out. And, but the main concern, too, is there'll be harm reduction involved in this. And what harm reduction means um, is so we know that certain people are using, and the number one offender of people using is if you're using alone, you're in, you're in grave danger. And if you're not using clean needles, again, you're in danger. Um, so, you know, there'll be some harm reduction involved. I might strike up a conversation, and that, that conversation might go down a path such as, are you using together because if you're alone you have a very high risk of overdosing and if you're with someone that other person you know might see you in, in dress and be able to keep you awake or help you or, or call 911 and and again if um if you're using clean needles um your 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 chances are lower than normal because there's a very high hepatitis C rate for people that are sharing needles so these are all things that that I can bring to the table just out in the community meeting people but then eventually if someone starts to talk to me and, and they tell me about their usage, you know, I might strike up a conversation to see, you know, well, if you're using this amount, how can we get you to use a little bit less? Right, right. With the goal of achieving, you know, hopefully recovery. Because, you know, I know all too well that if I did it, anybody can do it. Right. So, again, it's a slow process. It's, um, it's a visual, then it's uh, a verbal hello and then the conversation can open up. But again, some people won't want to talk to you. They're not ready to talk to you. But there are going to be people because let's face it, there are a lot of folks out there that are stuck in that world that don't want to be there. They're just using against their will because if they don't use, they're going to be sick. Right. And some folks don't know that help is possible. So when you offer someone help or you leave a card, they just might call you because every, every person that is stuck in that world you know, you don't want to be there. 
you're not born and say, I, when I grow up, I, I want to struggle with substance abuse. That That's not what happens. It just sort of happens, and then you're in it, and you don't know how to get out. And I know the way out, and I can help. Absolutely. Moments ago, you had mentioned overdoses. So I just want to ask you about the numbers. What are the numbers of ODs in Malden? And I want to let the streamers know that there's a difference between OD overdoses and fatalities. We're not talking about fatalities. I'm sure some overdoses can lead to fatalities, but let's talk about the numbers of ODs, Paul. Yeah, so the, the numbers right now are higher than normal. Um, in the summertime, the number really, you know, we, it's hard to put, um, we try to figure it out the best we can on why, you know, the numbers go up, why the trends happen, and you really can't figure it out. There's no rhyme or reason, but right now, um, I'll just give you this. So in the past 30 days, we've had 18 overdoses and definitely three, potentially four fatalities. There's three I know of and one I'm still checking that fact on to find out where that resident, um, you know, where they passed. Because some, some, what happens to a lot, a lot of times the numbers can be off because people from Everett and Somerville might come to Malden and they use here and they, they might have a meet here and they die here, but they're not a Malden resident. Sometimes Malden residents go to Revere or Peabody and the same thing happens there. So the numbers can be tricky, but right here in Malden, for sure, there's been 18 overdoses and four fatalities in the past 30 days. And um, a recent one was I, I just attended a wake last week of a, uh, a personal friend of mine, 32-year-old DPP worker who had passed um you know, last week, and, you know, he had two children, so the the problem, you know, the, the subject matter is a real problem right now. Um, it, we're up against it. I, it almost feels like a David and Goliath thing. Um, as, I, as I fight and as I continue to gather data and as I continue to, to dive into this topic um, every day, it, it's, it's an epidemic. It, it's a health crisis. First, I want to extend my condolences to you for losing this person and 32 years old, such, such a young person, leaving behind two children along with the rest of his family and friends and loved ones. That's, that's, that's uh, certainly tragic. That's never, obviously, never, yeah. obviously, yep. never, obviously never a good thing. Paul, right now we are going to go into a break. So... We'll take this opportunity to do that now. For your streamers out there, you can go to the website, MaldenOvercomingAddiction.com. Check out the website. Information there. I just want to point out something on that website, the donate button. Click on that donate button, and if there's anything that you can donate, there's no donations that's too small. I'm sure that I can speak for Paul when I say that any donation is greatly appreciated. Isn't that right, Paul? Yes, yes. Um, any, anything helps. Modern Overcoming Addiction is, is strictly run by volunteers. There's nobody that's paid, and all funds go right back into our recovery program and our scholarship program, and we can talk about that after the break. Okay, so going into the break, we'll be back with Paul Hammersley, who is the president of Malden Overcoming Addiction. This is Susan. Susan loves to bike. While out for a ride, she falls and breaks her arm. 
Special cells called neurons send a signal through the spinal cord to the brain, which interprets the signal as pain. Susan understands the pain means she needs to go to the hospital, and her body is equipped for survival, helping her not to panic so she can seek help. Many of her neurons are covered in proteins called opioid receptors. These receptors act like a brake to slow down the neuron's ability to send pain signals. When injured, her body releases natural painkillers called endorphins. Like a key in a lock, endorphins activate opioid receptors, slowing down the pain signal and preventing a panic. Susan gets treated for the broken bone. But three months later, her arm still hurts. And now that pain is making her feel depressed and anxious. So her doctor prescribes an opioid painkiller. There are many different opioids, but they all share a chemical similarity to our own endorphins. This allows them to bind to the same opioid receptors and stop pain signals. But that's not all they do. Deep inside Susan's brain is a region called the ventral tegmental area, or VTA for short. The VTA is full of neurons that produce a chemical called dopamine. When something good happens, dopamine is released, giving Susan a feeling of pleasure. This helps teach her brain to keep seeking out good things. To keep dopamine neurons in check, inhibitory neurons keep the brakes on until something good comes along. Just like the pain neuron, these neurons are covered in opioid receptors. When Susan takes the painkiller prescribed by her doctor, the opioid receptors turn off the inhibitory neurons and release the brake on the dopamine neurons. The rush of dopamine temporarily eliminates Susan's depression and anxiety, and she feels relief, calmness, and even euphoria. As Susan continues to take the painkillers, her brain responds by trying to regain its balance. Her inhibitory neurons work extra hard, even when the opioid receptors are activated, and it becomes harder and harder for her dopamine neurons to release dopamine. Susan finds that she needs to increase her dose of painkillers in order to feel comfortable. This is called tolerance. Eventually, Susan's pills run out. Inhibitory neurons that have been working over time are let loose, clamping down on those dopamine neurons and shutting them off almost completely. Now, not only is Susan in pain, but the depression and anxiety come back. On top of that, Susan feels ravaged by an inescapable physical sickness far worse than any flu. Susan's body is going through withdrawal. Most people who take opioids for a long time tend to experience some withdrawal but they can still stop taking the pills and return to normal. But for people like Susan, it's not so easy. Her genetics and the environment she grew up in put her at a higher risk for addiction. Her withdrawal symptoms aren't just unpleasant, they're unbearable. Susan thinks the only way to feel normal is to find more opioids. And this is how the cycle of opioid addiction emerges, driven by a brain trying to regain its balance. But there is hope for Susan. Though the road to recovery can be challenging, and there may be setbacks, treatments can retrain Susan's brain. With the help of medication and therapy, Susan finds pleasure in her life once again. The Dudster, Nesta Dudley, here on Beyond the Rim btrmike.com. I'm here with my guest, Paul Hammersley, who is the president of Malden Overcoming Addiction. 
recovery is possible. First part of the yes. part, first part of the podcast, Paul talked about how he's 15 years clean, and I just want to congratulate you on that. And you became 15 years clean April 23rd. Got this information from the last podcast that we had when you and I spoke in April 15th. You were days away from being 15 years clean. And I remember on that podcast, I had said, Paul, congratulations on being 15 years clean. You said, nope, I still got a few more days left. I'm not 15 years clean yet because it's one day at a time. That is correct. And, um, and I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. So April 23rd, 2003 is when I started my journey in recovery. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. It's been hard. It's it's you know, there's times where it's easy. It's hard. It, it's just a it's a four letter word called life. Um, that's all it is. I'm just doing what I believe I'm supposed to be doing. But again, thank you for recognizing that. That's uh, it's pretty special for me. The other major change that happened in your life, and it happened just days after that podcast is that you had a personal tragedy with the home that you live and grew up in. Your home burnt down. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Um, yeah. I, I mean, would you like to delve into that? I mean. what Whatever you're comfortable with talking about, brother. No, it's, it's fine. Um, so, you know, as we talk about recovery, it, it actually fits podcast because um you know that there's recovery people it's you know the mantra is this it's easy to get here but hard to stay here so you know um lots of people attempted including myself i had a lot of relapses when i started you know maybe a hundred you know you, you come in with good intentions and you know you try to stop living a certain way and it the, the easiest thing I can kind of put put it to would be like eating. You know, some people might eat a certain way and then, you know, they don't feel good afterwards and they say, I'm going to change change the way I eat. I might go on a diet. And we all know that diets are very hard to maintain. You do good for a while and then, you know, sometimes you might switch back and put your weight back on. And recovery is, you know, for the person that doesn't understand, it could be a lot like that. It's It's very hard to stop doing something you've been doing for a very long time so why i bring all this up is because there are things that happen in recovery you know that that just regular folks go through every day this death there is you know there is your work co-workers there are jobs there are feelings there are many things that happen to you on the road of recovery and um you know i've learned that no matter what what a day at a time is if you are vigilant in your own recovery and working a program and constantly working on yourself and doing all the right things and people in recovery will know what I'm talking about there. There's almost a blueprint how you have to do this. You can't not do anything. You have to work at it every day. And if you do that, you know, there's a book up there that just said you can, um, you can get through anything. So April 18th, three days after our podcast, I was at work and uh, my phone rang at work and, and they said, Paul, you better get home. There's been a uh, th there's been a second alarm just rung, rung at your house. So, you know, as you know, you could imagine um, your stomach falls 
you don't believe it's real. It's almost like you've entered a dream. And so I ran out to my car and I was driving home and I could see the smoke in the air. I live about a mile from where I work, not even maybe three quarters of a mile. And um, the helicopters were in the air and I know that's my house burning and I was rushing to get there. And I don't know if my family's out. My parents lived in that house. My sister lives in that house. My niece lives in that house. And I had a studio in the basement with all my equipment. Um, I was in that house every day. I owned the house. And, uh, you know, when I arrived there, I saw my mother and father um, with oxygen. Um, my mother with oxygen on her face. She was on the ground. And her and my dad were wrapped in a blanket. And the house was engulfed in flames. There was all the first responders. There had to be four different firefighter um, cities there. There was Everett, Revere, Saugus, uh, Malden. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a mess. And um, we, we just watched it burn. So it was very traumatic, um, and you know, having nothing, you know, every we lost everything. There wasn't um, not even a photograph that we could keep. Wow, wow. So, so dealing with that. So now I have five people that have nowhere to live because um, since then I've gotten married and I have my own. I have a very, I have a house in Malden with uh, with my children, my pets, and my wife, and the house isn't big enough to house five more adults. So you know. It was very hard for me to try to piece together what I had to do. Um, I had to care for five people, so I strictly blocked out the feeling of loss because I lost everything of mine, but I, I just went to their needs, and I had to help them. I had to make sure they had housing, they had food, they had clothing because there was nothing there. And again, my recovery played a big role in this. Um, if I wasn't in recovery, I wouldn't have been able to to be any good to anybody and I was able to help my family get them housing, get them in a place, and, and currently now they're they're in a place in Medford. And currently, right now, we've started the demolition work on the house. Um, you know, the insurance has paid. I'm building a new home. Again, this boils down to my recovery. If I wasn't in the right frame of mind, I wouldn't be able to help my family. I, I just wouldn't have been any good to anybody. And my parents are elderly, so it was nice to be able to be there for them. Um, after everything I put them through growing up, you know, so, so yeah, there was some tragedy, but it's going to end up okay. Paul, I want you to get into the story that you told me offline. I think it's very important for you to tell this story. You had, to, uh, you go ahead. Can, can you just refresh my memory and I will, tell oh, it. um, okay. we talk about many things. Okay. Well, you'll, you'll know this one. It was after the fire, there was an item that your mother really wanted okay. and nobody yeah. could find it. And you went in yep. there and you found it. Love that. Yeah. Story. So the, the story went like this. Um, you know, I was visiting with my mother. Um, she, they went, they went in a hotel on route one and, you know, we had to provide breakfast, lunch and dinner every day for them. And so I would go up there three times a day and I was sitting with her and she was um, feeling really bad. So I asked her what was wrong and, you know, her wedding rings um, were in her bedroom her her engagement ring and her wedding ring and they've been married 61 years and she asked if i could if i could go back to the house and uh, and get those and she told me where they were and she really didn't have any idea how bad the house was i really didn't tell them the, the condition of the house because i didn't want to you know i didn't want them worrying too much it, it was their family home and as you can imagine, the firefighters were up on um, ladders squirting water into every room. All the windows were broken. The walls were gone. So whatever was in that room, 
was destroyed and nothing was where it was before the fire. It was just a big pile of rubble. So I went to her room where the rings, I know the rings were in her room, but it was knee deep in rubble. And I looked and I looked and I searched and I, I couldn't find them. And the house was unsafe, but they let me in. Um, so I went back to tell her that I, I could not find, you know, her wedding ring and engagement ring. And she started to sob and, um, it just that didn't sit well with me at all watching my mother um heartbroken so i left and i i didn't tell her i was going to go back because i didn't want to get her hopes up but i you know i brought got some lighting because there was no lights in the house and i set up lights in the house and got a respirator and dressed in the proper clothing and i went in and spent about three and a half hours moving all the debris and, and i found them um i found that i found both rings for her and um i had returned those rings to her that night Hashtag splendid. I just want to give it up yeah. to you on that one. I yeah. mean, that was, you know, that's certainly, as you said, giving back here, you said that the, that the worries that you put your parents through when you were growing up and just to be able to do this, just to be able to put a smile on your mother's face when the house burnt down and everything is gone. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it wasn't just a smile. She she never hugged me like that. Um, in my fifty two years, she she grabbed onto me and she was shaking and crying. And those rings really meant something to her that I just didn't understand. You know, I I haven't been married that long. Um, you know, she's uh, she's been through a lot, so it was it was priceless. You couldn't put a price on on that moment. That was probably the best moment I've ever shared with my mother. Um, so yeah, that, that was pretty special. So, Paul, when personal tragedies as this happens, obviously life does not stop. So you had to deal with this. You had to be able to provide for the five of the people that live in that house. You still got to go to work every day and you're still doing this Malden overcoming addiction. So your plate, I didn't see where there's any relief. I asked you offline, when do you sleep? Yeah. And, and um, you know, part of that too is, you know, I have fostered a little girl. So back last August, I fostered a little girl. So I have a now a six year old with me on top of that. Um, so it was challenging. Um, I had to take, I used three weeks of my vacation time. I, I could not go to work for about three weeks. Um, I had to really pull it together for the family. Um, you know, I, I, I get my sleep at night, but all, you know, again, like, the human element in this is, is, you know, when, when tragedy happens, I'm no different than anyone else. You know, they we're resilient and, um, you know, you get it done, you know, when it's your family and it's your own. I mean, people say it all the time. I've always heard these things and you see people on shows and you hear them talk all these, you know, things they go through and you don't think you can do it. But let me tell you, um, you know, when, when, when the bell rings and God forbid the bell rings, I don't wish it on anybody. I think 1% of the population has a house fire. There's no manual. There's no how to, you know, when, when the house was burning and I'm looking at my family and I'm asking myself, what do I do? Like, what do you do? What, what is it that I got to do right now? Like, that's what I was asking myself. Tell me like, God, tell me what to do right now. Cause there's, you just, you're not prepared. Right. You know, there's, there's no preparation. And, um, you get it done. You know, you just, you just get it done. And, and, you know, I appreciate you bringing it up and, and that's all it's, it's no different than anybody else. Nestor. It's, uh, you just, you, you just do it. 
Right. And from where I sit, you certainly did it well. You said you took three weeks of vacation time from your job, but you still have the, you know, you're still volunteering from all overcoming addiction. I mean, you just. Yeah, that, that didn't stop. I didn't take time off of that. I was just going to say, you don't take time off from that. I mean, there are people that are still in need. You know, you're still out there doing the good work that you and your team are doing. That doesn't stop. No, if I, you know, if you're not there, people die, um, you know, so, so you have to um, balance that. And, and, and I, I did that. I mean, you know, you, you got to be there. Like when you make a commitment, I've made a commitment to myself, to the city, um, to my colleagues, my friends and, and everyone uh, that's part of my team. I, I've committed my life to them, um, you know, and, and I don't take that lightly. And, and that's just that's it is what it is. You know, you, you, when you get into this work, um, you can't take it. You can't just take a day off. If I can't be around, I have to arrange for someone else to be there. It's, it's not like I can wake up one day and uh, and just say, you know what, today I'm just not going to answer the phone. Like you have to prepare properly to make sure that someone is there for you. I mean, you can't take time off, but you just have to do it. You have to do it correctly. Right. You have to just make sure that other people can fill your role. Right. Paul, recently, Governor Charlie Baker has signed an opioids bill. Yeah. What does this mean for your organization and what does this mean in general? Well, it just means a lot for, for addiction in general. The bill, if you read it, it covers much ground. Um, I like the fact that the governor signed the budget for the recovery center um, as well. But the, the last bill, I think it was the CARE Act. And it just, uh, there's so many things in the bill, I can't recite them all. So it was something that everybody could just go on and, and look at. But it, it also... I mean, you can Google it and find it, but it, what it does is it shows you how serious the governor is for recovery because for him to sign that, it just really speaks volume on the person he is and what he finds important because where we're at, again, I'll say it I'll say it a hundred times over, we're in a public health crisis and without someone like Governor Charlie Baker, the state house, um, and again, Mayor Christensen, I, I just, these people, like the work I do, and the work Malden Overcoming Addiction does, and all the other coalitions, if if it doesn't start at the top, you're going, you can't go anywhere. It all has to start at the top. And not everybody is uh, as fortunate as we are um, in Malden, but at least the governor, you know, the governor covers a lot of ground, but there's, you know, cities and towns still have to buy in. So what he just signed was um, was absolutely huge for the state of Massachusetts. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. As you said in the last podcast, we are in a epidemic. Was that correct? Epidemic? Yeah. Yeah. Epidemic. yeah. I mean, you could go as far as calling it a pandemic. I mean, you know, an epidemic is something that I, I talked about this before. An epidemic is something that is usually contained to one area. You know, if many people die in one specific area and a pandemic, when you Google it, it's worldwide. And this is worldwide. This, this is, uh, you know, this, everybody's radar should be up. Everybody should be um, worried about this. If it hasn't bit you yet, it probably will. Um, I think we all know someone. I have a friend, a family member, a colleague, um, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. And I'll say it again. It starts with our youth. We have to start educating our youth. That I don't know how much time we have, but you know, there's another plan I have in my mind what I'd like to start doing with the with the tax revenue from the uh, the marijuana shops that are coming, I would like to put that money back into educating our youth. Not one dollar, I believe, not one one 
one dollar of that tax money should go to the roads, the trees, the parks. Every dollar should go back into education for our kids and prevention. It's money we didn't have to begin with, and that's what we have to do. We have to educate our kids before they're age 10 and 12, because that's the age that they all are faced with a decision. There's, there's, a, there's a round age that every child in between 10 and 12 will be around someone somewhere who's not doing the right thing, and that someone is going to show them something, and the, that child will have a decision to make. And um, if, if we can arm them, um, you know, education is power. If we can arm them with the proper information, they'll have enough information to say no instead of letting peer pressure take over. I like that idea that you just proposed. I'm really digging that idea. As you said before, we didn't have the money before, so we have this new source of, of, of revenue. Why not put it into that? Why not put it into the education of the little kids? As, as, as we discussed on the last podcast, you would like to get them as early as kindergarten. That's right. And, and I don't mean, you know, talking about drugs. And we said it before. It's, it's, it's at the proper curriculum and it's with health class. And we need, there's some health class in the city, but there's not enough. Like, we have to have health class across the city in every school where maybe in kindergarten it starts with strength building and positive affirmations. And every year after that, you give them a little more. By third grade, the word drugs is introduced. By fourth grade, they're watching some video. And then by fifth and sixth grade, when they have that decision to make, they have enough knowledge to say, oh, man, like, that's not cool. Like, I don't want to go there. I mean, we're teaching our kids right now, right now at the kindergarten level, what to do if a school shooter comes in. There's programs out there that are teaching them how to hide. And if we were to compare the number of deaths compared to the school shootings to, you know, drug use and overdose fatalities, and I'm, I'm not diminishing school shootings at all, but if we're going to start teaching, every, let, let's get them everything. We're, we're in a public health crisis, and they need to be educated about drugs. Right. Absolutely. Keep it, yep. Keeping it real with Paul Hammersley. Paul, we're going to go into our final break, and on the other side of the break, I want to talk about a little bit of a lighter note. I want to talk about events that you have coming up, fundraisers and stuff like that. So, Paul, sure. if you can bear to be with us one last time. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Podcast. Okay. Paul Hammersley, president of Malden Overcoming Addiction. Nesta Dudley, this is BTR Beyond the Rim. We'll be back on the other side of the break. As drug use ever put a strain on your relationships? Does the thought of running out of drugs terrify you? Do you ever use drugs alone? Have you ever thought that you should stop using drugs? In Narcotics Anonymous, we can do together what I could never do alone. If you think you might have a drug problem, Give yourself a break and come to one of our meetings. For help finding NA meetings in New England, or for more information about Narcotics Anonymous, visit our website, nerna.org, or call 866-NA-HELP-YOU. Once again, that's nerna.org. Back here with Paul Hammersley, president of Malding Overcoming Addiction. And, Paul, you have some events coming up soon. Now, you have the fourth annual vigil that's coming up October 7th. 
Yeah, it's amazing um, that it's been, I can't believe it's been four years. Um, and I don't mean amazing that we're having a vigil. I just mean I, it. four years has flown by, I, you know. Wow. Um, so, yeah, October 7th, This um, it's a Sunday. We actually worked it around, <laughs> believe it or not, um, we worked it around the Patriots schedule because we know that in this general area, lots of people watch the Patriots. So the Patriots play that Thursday. It's Columbus Day weekend, so there's no game on Sunday. So from 6 to 8.30, um, we recognize people we've lost, and, and we recognize their families because we we don't feel that anybody should be forgotten. Um, so we we show pictures of all the people we've lost. It's not just a Malden thing. It's it's um, it's anyone surrounding area that wants to send in a photograph and come down and sit and we usually have someone speak that has lost a, a child we have someone speak in recovery and the man the police chief and the fire department will be there and we read everyone's name we ring a bell we'll have resource tables there'll be a narcan training um and the night starts at 6 p.m on the malden high school front steps and what we do is we all have a candle and we march down um Salem Street left on ferry and then we head into the courtyard and that's where the the event will take place if it rains it'll move into the gallery in in the courtyard but yeah that's October 7th Sunday 6 to 8 30. I imagine Paul that the numbers on these vigils have grown so when you had the first vigil the number was x when you had the second vigil the number was x plus y when you had the third vigil the numbers was x plus y plus z am i correct yeah and you know not every year and the numbers are tough to follow but every year more people send in pictures but i'll tell you this I, there's one one number i have as a fact i mean i get the fatalities so last year in malden um we lost 15 we had 15 fatalities in malden and we had hundreds of overdoses, but an overdose doesn't necessarily equal a fatality because they're all Narcan reversals. Um, with the drug Narcan, the the old you know when someone ODs, we're 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 preventing the fatality with with Narcan. Um, but last year we did have fifteen in Malden alone. So, wow, wow, yeah, yeah. So there, there'll be a couple of hundred names and pictures that will be shown on the screen. Um, you know, it's it's a really somber event, but again, it's it's we want to remember the people we've lost and honor them. What um, a very special night for for their family. It's you know, that's a tough event. That 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 event is. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That that's uh, that's really hard. But we need to never forget. Um, you know, the people we've lost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then after the vigil, we have um, on November third. We're having a fundraiser at the Irish American. Um, generally, fundraisers, you know, people do trivia nights and people have comedy nights and just, just sort of light atmosphere stuff. And we do a big comedy night every uh, May. But we decided to add in another fundraiser because, you know, we need more funding to do the work that we do. And <laughs> we've really changed uh, the topic this year and, and what we're doing. So there's a band out there called kiss forever and they're a kiss tribute band and full makeup they bring they bring the full kiss experience and we're going to do a rock and roll show so the name of the event is moa and kiss Forever rock addiction that's november 3rd at the irish american in malden doors open at six uh it goes until about 10 o'clock the band will do an 18 song set um 
all the hits will be done. I actually, I, I created the playlist. I sat down with the band already, and they let me pick the song. So it's just all the hits. There'll be 50-50 raffles. We're going to have Henry's Catering with a bunch of real good food. The tickets are $25 a ticket. There'll be sponsorships. The information is up on Malden Overcoming Addiction's Facebook page. That night is going to be a very, very special night and a night to remember. Boy, that sounds like a nice fun light. You got to uh, pick out the playlist and and yeah, and they're gonna come and they're coming in full makeup as you said. This is a uh, full makeup, full makeup, full ma- everything. Oh, the whole the whole nine yards, <laughs> full makeup and uh, yeah. Will we see the president of Balding coming overcoming addiction in some kiss makeup? I don't know. Um, you know, it, it's funny. We'll have to wait and see. But the, you know, the band has. Uh, we're talking about some type of surprise if if the president can. Uh, you know, if he can uh, work through his phobias and fears, and, and maybe maybe there'll be a special guest on stage to sing a song. We don't know. <laughs> hey, wouldn't it be something that the special guest in Kiss Makeup would be our own Mayor Gary Christensen? Or- yeah, that, that would be something. That would be something. <laughs> I but I'll tell you this. The mayor will be there. He'll be in attendance. Uh, he already knows about it. We, we, you know, he'll be there. One thing about our mayor, we are so fortunate to have the mayor that we have. He's in all, he goes to all of these, these, no matter what the event is, it doesn't matter if it's a nonprofit organization, if it's a private business, it's just, he's, he's just always there. I don't know how the man does it. We have the best mayor any city or town has ever seen. I've said it a thousand times, um, you know, and I'll say it again, it starts at the top and um, we're very fortunate to have Mayor Christensen in this city and, and driving the city the way he does he's uh he's an amazing individual and i'm very proud to live here work here to raise my family here and again i I couldn't be more thankful to the mayor there any other fundraisers or events that are coming up that we have not spoken about um august august 31st it's not an moa event it's uh national overdose awareness day and it's on boston common there's going to be tens of thousands of people attending the uh overdose awareness day so you might want to go into boston common it's at six at six p.m to nine p.m uh and that's coming up yeah when it next two weeks or ten days i forget the date two weeks i think but august 31st is national overdose awareness day it's a really it's going to be one of the biggest events that we've seen. Um, it's just everyone in the region is coming to Boston Con. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. And so nothing else. Emma, we have the two events coming up and we have other stuff, but it's too far out. But again, if everybody could visit our website, go on our Facebook page. If you can donate, that's always great. If you can't, just we meet the fourth um, Wednesday of every month at the Malden Police Station Community Room. We have a meeting actually this Wednesday coming up at 6 p.m. So um, if you just want to know what Malden Overcoming Addiction is about, please just come to the meeting. You don't have to join. You don't have to talk. But if you have any questions, just come down to the Police Station Community Room on um, on Eastern Ave in Malden. And, and that's at uh, the fourth Wednesday of every month, 6 p.m. Paul, as always, thank you very much for coming on this podcast and dispersing all the information that you have given us. Is there a phone number the folks out there can reach you at? Yeah, they can reach me at 781-570-6328. 
there's an email. It's P Hammersley at city of org. So that's P H A M M E R S L E Y at city of org. Um, so there it is. And you can also, if you're on Malden Overcoming Addictions website, anything you fill out, if you needed a recovery coach, if you have someone that needs the scholarship program, we, we do run a scholarship program where we put people into sober living. If you meet the criteria, everything you fill out on that website goes directly to my phone. So everything is a direct connection to me and I'll get right back to you. I am on their website right now, Paul. Once again, that website is MaldenOvercomingAddiction.com. When you go to the website, they have upcoming events, latest news, resources, recovery coach. And as I said earlier in this podcast, donate, 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 whatever you can. No donations are too small. You can also reach Paul Hammersley, Twitter, at Malden Overcomes on a Twitter platform. And Paul Hammersley, personal Twitter is at HammerTime. On Twitter, at Hammer Time. Facebook, Malden Overcoming Edition. Instagram, Malden Overcomes. Snapchat, at Malden Overcomes. YouTube, Malden Overcome Addiction. I have another Gmail address here, Malden Overcoming Addiction at gmail.com. I think we listed all the ways that folks can either get in touch with you or follow you or retweet you. And I'm sure Paul appreciates that's what i said appreciates appreciates all yes all retweets yes i do we do it's it's uh, yes so paul once again thank you very much for being on this podcast but this is not going to be the last time that we talk to you we're going to talk to you again in another few months yeah, well, good for the trilogy. Um, so I'm hoping to speak with you, Nestor, um, November, December, around that uh, October, November. Like, I'll contact you, but I'm, I'm hoping um, that that recovery center comes to fruition. And, you know, maybe with this trilogy, it will bring us some good luck. So we could do it again in a couple of more months. I look forward to it. Once again, thank you for being on this podcast. And if you want to stream this podcast, you can stream this podcast on your favorite podcast app. So stream Beyond the Rim, the podcast, on your favorite podcast app. You can download us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Visit the website, btrmike.com. That's btrmic.com. Hashtag follow, hashtag stream, hashtag retweet at Nesta Dudley on Twitter. So once again, for Paul Hammersley, who was the president of Malding Overcoming Addiction, I'm your host, the Dudster, Nesta Dudley. Buenas noches, hooches, cooches. I came in peace. I leave with love. This is for the red, the black, and the green. Living cool, living calm, living clean. I'm out.